You try to protect your children, but once they walk out the door, they're on their own. Talk to your kids about offers of drugs. Help your children to just say no. Dad does. Dad does. Drugs. Drugs. Dad does drugs. Hi, welcome to episode 18 of Dad Does Drugs. Thank you for all the love for last week's episode, talking to policeman Jason Q. Most of that love came via Twitter, where Jason is super active. And because he is such a lovely and very well-connected guy, lots of people that he knew listened to it and then shared it. So if you're a new listener as a result, thank you very much. Hi there. Please go back and listen to some of the other episodes, because they're good too. Today is the final one of our little new-term mini-run. I went up to London a couple of weeks ago to meet Jacob Hawley, comedian and podcast creator. Now, Jacob and I are arch rivals. He is my drug awareness podcast nemesis. So I invited him to talk to me in order to destroy him. Just kidding. That was a dad joke. He's made a brilliant podcast for the BBC. It's called Jacob Hawley on Drugs. And it's one of the most successful ones on the BBC Sounds app, apparently. I met him. And he bought coffee for me rather than the other way round. And he was appearing as a guest on my podcast. So I felt that was a bad start. Yeah, you get one. Yeah, I'll get one. No, that's right. Mate, you've come all this far. I don't mind getting one. Just a coffee. Yeah, latte. But it was fine in the end. We then sat outside in the sunshine on the piazza other people on the other tables got to listen in but i think they were mainly talking a little bit loudly at points apologies for that uh to their own friends so i don't think they were listening to us as we talked about drugs and we talked about podcasting and we uh discussed what we hope will come out of our podcasts and i particularly wanted to know from uh jacob how he feels about his public honesty on the subject because he does uh, drug-related comedy in his stand-up routines as well. I think you'll enjoy it. He's funny and he's really lovely. And then at the end, I'm going to chat to my son, Credence, uh, for the last time for a little while and see what he thought of it too. BBC down in Southampton, so I quite like coming here. It's always glamorous and exciting to come to BBC in London. The big uh, HQ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we recorded, literally sat over there, we recorded uh, quite a lot actually. I remember the last episode, was it the last episode? The second to last. I think the second to last episode was about drug dealers. Yeah. And so we had a guy, Bradley, who'd been to jail. He came and sat with us, literally there. Right. And the only problem was. That over there, which you can hear, which is the uh, the guys cleaning, right. was a bit loud for us. Okay. But, but otherwise, it's a nice place to be, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. So far, I've spotted celebrity-wise uh, Louis Theroux. Have you really? Through, which I was 
quite impressed by. Um, that's a good scout. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one to get. So this is Jacob Hawley, and he has made a podcast about drugs, and I have made a podcast about drugs, and so I got in touch and thought, oh, let's have a chat about podcasts and drugs. Yeah. And I noticed yours and suddenly had that kind of jealous panic of like, oh, no, someone else has made <laughs> a, a, a podcast about drugs. Oh, what if it's loads better than mine? And you've got loads of great guests that I tried to get and couldn't you know, really? speak who, to me. Who did you try and get? Fabric. Uh, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was... Uh, well, the, really the, the interesting thing with them is that they've signed an NDA. NDA? Non- I think it's NDA. Right. It's ba- basically they can't talk about all the interesting stuff. Right. So in terms of being closed down, yeah, you know, multiple reasons why they might have been closed down, and specifically what what I, what I wanted to talk to them about, which is a shame, it is so the police operation that closed them down was actually, even though it was supposed to be an, an operation to look at all clubs and how yeah. all clubs could be doing better with the way that they uh, handle drugs and drug fatalities, the, the police operation was called Le Norm. Right. And um, supposedly that wasn't targeting fabric, even right. though Lenore cleaned fabric. Of course. Right. So, so oh, that was a long pause, wasn't it? I was embarrassingly slow on the uptake there. Of course, Operation Lenore, fabric softener, fabric nightclub. Oh. There's there a lot of stuff like that that I would have liked to speak to them about, but they yeah. couldn't because of an NDA, so I wouldn't feel too upset about them, yeah. <laughs> about them not coming on. Yeah, my podcast is called Dad Does Drugs, and the point of view is of a parent. Yeah. Oh, oh, my eldest is a teenager <coughs> now, he's 14, and so... I felt like, how do you have, if you've used recreational drugs in your past, how yeah. do you have a conversation with your children yeah. that's a little bit more useful than just say no? Did your parents ever talk to you about drugs when you were a child? Yeah, the, I, I, I've sort of grown up with an awareness that they did consume some drugs when they were younger, but I think my parents consumed them sort of like daft idiots, you know, they're very soft. There was a well, it was a Chinese restaurant, but it used to be a pub called a Black Squirrel that my dad used to go to when he was younger. He was the captain of their sneaker team right. and their darts team, I think. But he, uh, I remember going, going, it got turned into a Chinese restaurant, and I went there with him when I was about 13, 14. I remember him pointing out to me that this was his favourite pub where, where they'd let him smoke smoke uh, joints. I can't remember how, I remember he had like quite a funny way of, of yeah. describing cannabis use. But yeah, so he, he, he would be open about that. I mean, they're, they're, they're quite daft and silly. I remember my mum saying to me that she got offered to sniff glue once, but she didn't do it properly. The, the glue just got stuck to her face. <laughs> uh, my, dad, my dad was a roadie. Okay. Uh, when he was younger for, for bands and stuff right. and I remember once when he was on the road he told me that he got uh, offered coke I genuinely thought they meant coke and cola yeah. and it was that age old thing of him saying well I only drink diet <laughs> so, so then it, it wasn't like a to be subject I, re- I remember when I, when I was about 15 me and my mates were going to have like a little session in the woods uh, but just just alcohol Yeah. and my mum we, we, we lived in a sort of new build house so our, our walls were quite thin and my mum heard me on the phone saying that I'd got 11 cans <laughs> she didn't hear the cans part and she came rushing into my room after and she was like if you've got 11 pills you will die <laughs> she, 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 she just said I've got 11 something and she, yeah. knew, she knew I was going to be going and sitting in the woods all night uh, but she thought yeah so, so it wasn't like a completely taboo subject and I think when they felt I might be endangering myself they sort of did step in but there, there was never like a 
they were never overly worried about anything. I'm, that, there, there must have been, uh, you, you, like when you're younger, you think that you're so slick, you know? Yeah. There must have been multiple times when I came home at 14, stinking of, you know, the worst cannabis in the world. Right. Where me and, you know, nine friends shared one spliff under an underpass. And I remember my routine is that I'd like, you know, before going into the living room and saying hello to my parents when I came in, I'd run into a downstairs toilet. I'd have a can of links hidden in the toilet yeah. so I could spray myself. <laughs> I'd scrub my fingers and then I, I, would, I would like not brush my teeth if there was a toothbrush dead night. Yeah. So I'd, I'd, I would have uh, like, like some toothpaste that I would just sort of swill around my gums. Yeah. But it's, it's the most like obvious and baking to see. So yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't off the table, but it wasn't. Uh, it was ne- I was never like frightened by their reaction. And were drugs around much when you were a teenager? Was drugs? Uh, yeah, just a thing? yeah. Th- like not not in a not in a way that like was worrying, but like I knew who you'd get weed off at school. Right. I knew you know anecdotally who was doing more serious stuff like coke, and, yeah, uh, pills. It was a very different time though. Whereas I feel like now everyone was doing coke. Like back back then, and even when I was about 18, 19, coke wasn't really that big a thing. I mean, that that was around the time that MCAT was quite big. Yeah, I was trying to work out our age. So I'm 43, Mm -hmm. um, my son's 14, you're 27. Yeah. So we're sort of in in between. Yeah, Yeah, and, uh, and so you would have been just becoming an adult at around the time when MCAT was legal and it was yeah. that big explosion of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2010, 2009, that around sort there. of time. Yeah, yeah, around there. And it was also a time when pills were a lot more, a lot lighter and a lot safer, which is probably a risky thing to say, but it, it was around the time that people would do like four or five pills right. in a night, whereas now, God, I, I would probably do half of one. Yeah. You know? So... So that's something that's changed. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah it, but and also, and also I, I, and it might just be where my situation has changed. And now, you know, I work in this industry now. I live in London, so I guess it makes sense that everyone's on cake. But, but it does feel like everyone's on cake. Well, I, that's another thing I, I wonder about. So I live in Portsmouth, and when I chat to my son about school life, he hears weed talked about, but he says he doesn't hear anything else talked about. And I, I don't know of anyone in Portsmouth in my. I, mean, I know I'm like a 43 year old dad on the school run and things now, so it's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but when I come into London and see friends, drugs are just around. Drugs are. Yeah. On, it seems like yeah. they're on the table. I guess, I guess, and I guess that's uh, yeah, it probably is a regional thing as much as it's something that's changed all the time. Yeah, a media thing, a London thing. Yeah, interesting. But you've sort of gone public by doing comedy about about drugs. Yeah. So when did you start doing that? And, and and did you sort of talk to your parents? Like, did your parents just know that you were you know, a using drugs recreationally? But then b, <laughs> when did you start going public about it? Was well, that awkward? It never felt like going public about it because, because the, the sort of comedy and stand-up idea was just autobiographical, and so I would say it was even like proportionate in terms of like how much drugs was a part of my life was how much it'd be part of my stand-up. So when I first started, like in a five-minute set, I'd maybe spend forty seconds doing one or two drug, jokes about drugs. In the, in the same way that over the course of a week, I would spend five or six hours out of the two hundred hours in a week or whatever actually on drugs so, yeah. so, so, it, so it was I didn't feel like I was being 
I, I, there was never like a conscious decision of like, right, let's go out and be drugs guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in the last uh, year or so, my agent has made me aware that that's possibly what I'm doing. But I, I, it was never like a conscious decision of like, I want to talk. It, I just did talk about it because it's just what I was doing. It was just the life I was living. Yeah. Talking about drugs on stage was as natural as talking about whatever else I was doing, working in retail, you yeah. know, having a having a girlfriend, having you know, it, yeah. it was never like a that's something I want to do either because it's something that's not being spoken about or because it was something particularly interesting to talk about or even that I wanted to be controversial or anything like that. It was just um, it was just what I was doing. And then I'm trying to think of when my parents would have first heard me do material that referenced drug use for perhaps 2017. So I did a... I love how nonchalant and cool Jacob is there. Just leans back in his chair, says all right to a guy, an incredibly hipster-looking guy who just strolls past the BBC piazza. All right, mate. Yeah, boom, fist bump. Nice. I did an Edinburgh show in 2017 like a sort of 40 minute work in progress thing yeah. and I think they came and saw that I can't remember I think they came and saw that So and that would have mentioned drug use but it, it was always a thing of like I was never particularly trying to hide anything yeah. we're, we're, we're a funny family where we don't really they've never sat me down and been like what do you take and yeah. how often do you know what I mean but my dad sort of taking a piss a few times and been like you know where, I, I remember I went on a a stag to Germany and he was like oh you know there'll be good drugs for you out there yeah. so, stuff like that yeah I think I think I'd have to ask them but I think there's a kind of underlying trust that they know I'm not going to do anything too stupid and so and we, which is perhaps uh, misplaced because I've probably come really close to doing stuff that's quite yeah. You know, I've, I've woken up in hospital rooms and stuff. So maybe, maybe they should be a bit stricter than they are. But um, yeah, so there's that. And, and then since the podcast, I mean, I, I sort of, I, I do material in the podcast, which is kind of about how it must be quite frightening to them that, that I, I've got a show called Jake and Wally on drugs. But then I don't think it's never a thing of like them being embarrassed in front of their colleagues or anything like that. You know, yeah. I think. I think they're, they're, they're liberal-minded enough that it's not a worry. Yeah, and I think it's the really the interesting area that I'm uh, thinking about a lot is uh, I've had a lot of things in my life. I think just you know I've done all sorts of things and I've got a job and and, and I've got married and I've had kids and there has been some recreational drug use along the way, but yeah. it's never been something I've been massively into to the extent where it's pushed other things out. Yeah. But why is that? Where some people, as you've met them for your podcast and what have you either fall in too deep or they struggle with substances in a way that I just haven't and I'm not sure is that just because I'm lucky because I've overdone it at, at points but never to the extent where I've yeah, really yeah. hurt myself now is that pure dumb luck or is, or is there sort of a, a way that I can bring up my kids that will engineer that slightly without being Victorian dad about it because I don't really feel I mean, like yeah, that yeah I mean it's, it's something I think about it's something I think about in the sense that I want to have kids and I want to I wonder how I wonder how I'll break that subject. I, I think there's there are situations where luck is a big case. Like like in t- especially in terms of recreational use, you know, there are thousands of people using drugs recreationally every weekend, and so, and sometimes luck will be a factor in, in someone just t- going too far. Yeah. Uh, 
Max Cotton Smith is a guy I went to school with and we spoke to his mother and sister, Jane Linda, in the episode four of the podcast. And he was the epitome of someone who was not using drugs regularly at all. You know, maybe, I think he'd done it two or three times, the time before he died. Yeah. And we talk about bad luck. It, it was like everything that could have gone unlucky and wrong went unlucky and wrong in, in his situation. He was using MDMA, which is commonly touted as a safer substance or something. But if you're going to use one, use that. He was just in an environment where the odds were kind of stacked against him and he was just hugely unlucky. And, and so I, I say to myself, well, that could have so easily been me. Yeah. So, so, so many times. And so, that could have so easily been any number of thousands and thousands of people who could have just tried it once and suddenly the odds are stacked against him. And it, there's probably multiple, multiple, multiple fatalities where that's the case. Yeah. Right? Where no one's being reckless. They're, they're, doing, they're doing something that I, I wouldn't even blink before doing. You know? Yeah. But, so, you know, they get unlucky. I, I, think, I think the flip side is, and I don't know about you, but I've never really felt like my use has been habitual. Like, I've never felt like it's something that I have to do to get through a day or a week. No. You know? no, lots of the people you talk to talk about sort of pain. In here, it's on a lot of discussions about drugs. You know, that, that you find the drug that kind of masks the pain or, or, or fits for you. And I think, well, I've never taken drugs for that reason. I've no. Been, you know, it's been a, a way of having a better night out than if we'd just drunk alcohol all night, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's... I think that's the difference. And I think the, I think, I think the danger is often in the, state, in the case that someone discovers recreational drugs for that reason, the same reason you and I would have used them for, as you say, just escalating a night out beyond just alcohol. Yeah. And then suddenly they go, oh, that that filled the void, or that numbed the pain, or that provided a temporary solution to an ongoing problem, and suddenly that temporary solution becomes a regular solution to an ongoing problem. Yeah. And that's when addiction and harmful habits form. And I, I mean, yeah, so I think I think they probably there's probably two two reasons is one, one pure luck as you say but then again that not having that underlying pain or, or at least or maybe having an underlying pain that drugs or alcohol don't form any kind of solution to that so they don't become a habit. Yeah, and maybe the, maybe the way you're sort of brought up and so the way you think about solutions to your problems and stuff it, it comes so if I think about my life you know there were times where I just was quite busy so <laughs> I can't really it's as simple as that isn't yeah. it it's a, or, or money or money yeah. there have just been times when I I would have loved to have had a coke habit but I couldn't afford it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, work, I started working radio on a breakfast show you know as the tea boy yeah. so at five o'clock on a Monday morning I had to be in this radio station writing the travel news making the tea so you know my weekend had to end respectably on, on Sunday morning to give me enough time to sleep properly and things like that. I wasn't going to carry on all week or whatever, yeah. you know. So, yeah, so some of that is just sort of practical... Circumstances. Yeah. Purely circumstances, mm. yeah, which is... You, you don't think about that, but you think, fuck, that, that radio show kept me off the, the Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So, with your 
podcast was there a, a sort of conversion of, the, of, of thinking I am a recreational drug user and now I want to preach drug awareness for some reason or was there a goal in doing it there was a goal in, in that I wanted to I definitely wanted to humanise the people that were often demonised mm. when drugs are put on television or radio I've watched a lot of documentaries where dealers, addicts, you know, they're either villains or they're, you know, wasters. You know, I, I think there's a real derogatory language that is, that is used around the people that are often involved. And, and there's very rarely any real consideration as to why they're doing those things. And that, that's one thing I really wanted to do. From a personal point of view, I wanted to look into how much culpability I have as a... And I see myself as a fairly typical recreational user. And I wanted to look at the culpability that I have into the, the negative effects that that kind of recreational use has on society as well. So they, 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 I guess they were two objectives that I had to go, right, first of all, as someone who, without thought, would do a line on a Friday night at the top of me, yeah. without thought, would go, yeah, let's get a bit of cake for that festival. Without thought, would go, oh, if you're having a split, I'll have one. Yeah. You know? how, how much should I be going, no, I shouldn't do that? And I think specifically with cocaine use, I spoke to a comedian called Jack Barry, and he made some really interesting points about how that is like the worst in, in terms of the paper trail of where that money goes Jesus Christ you know that, it's really bad he, he's got quite an interesting perspective because his girlfriend is from South America right so he yeah even as someone who probably right in saying Jack still uses uh, some recreational drugs but he, he doesn't touch cocaine for that reason in terms of switching from a recreational user to, to preaching drug awareness, I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive. I think you can have awareness of the ills of your actions while still doing those actions. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I have to obviously be careful with BBC regulations and editorial policy. I can't sit there and go, oh, this is great, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I can't really talk too much on the podcast about current usage or what I'm still doing. Yeah, but I, I I don't want to pretend that I'm holier than thou or, or more aware or more ethical in my use of drugs than anyone listening. I, like I see myself as, as massively flawed in my drug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as someone who, especially through comedy, I talk about a lot of like you know how to yeah you know, I want to be a better person. Think as a society we should be doing this, we should be doing that. Ethically, this is wrong. Blah blah blah. I mean, I think an important, and, that, and that's one of the reasons I talk about drugs on stage, is that I, I don't want to present myself as perfect. And I think one of my flaws is that I do use these substances where their effect on the world is quite negative. Their, the danger of what they can do to me and my mates is, is quite real. So, yeah, I, I, I wanted to be able to present the information that I was, I was collating and the things I was discovering in a way where I was saying, look, these are interesting people I've spoken to, these are interesting things I've learned, but I am still not perfect, you know? I, I'm not... And, it, and I think this is something I had to think about when we were pitching the podcast, but also something that I thought about internally was, like, why me? You know, why should I produce this thing? Yeah. What, what angle do I have? Uh, I'm not Louis Thrill, I'm not a journalist, I'm not 
Stacey Deeley. Yeah. So why should I present this thing? And I guess I thought, well, because I feel like quite a typical, like, drug user of my generation. So, yeah. so, so someone who cares about the world, and, and I, I don't like the idea that, you know, that my cocaine is essentially tainted with blood because of people that have died within the drug trade in South America. That doesn't stop me doing it. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that so that's something I wanted to do is present it as kind of warts and all. Yeah. I was trying to work out why I'd wanted to do the podcast because yeah. I think I'm typical of my generation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a parent now who was uh, at university and, and in my 20s through the 90s, all through school, there was really no drugs at all, but it was going to the park and getting pissed on a Friday night with yeah. a few cans of lager and maybe the odd spliff when someone's older brother had something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but <laughs> none of us knew a dealer or anything like that. So there was no... Uh, and, there, and they're just... I don't know, anything harder just wasn't on my radar. And then it was only after university, I was about 23, and I, had, I knew that I'd started working, the, the T-boy job was at a dance music radio station, and so suddenly I was aware of this nightclub culture and, and dance. World, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I was curious about it, and I'm still curious about it now. You know, part of the in, interest in doing a, a drug education podcast is about, I still find it quite fascinating, quite exciting. Yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah. There's a, And I think that's quite normal. I mean, that's why they make loads of great documentaries and great dramas about drugs and stuff. It's an exciting Area. It's an exciting topic. I mean, I, I was talking to, I've got a mate, um, he's called Jamali Maddox, and he did a series on Vicelanders, uh, Hate Thy Neighbour, and it was largely about racism. Right. And I was talking to him because he's sort of done a similar thing of going, I'm a comedian with interests, and I've sort of accidentally stepped into journalism yeah. and making documentaries and stuff. I mean, he, him on a much bigger scale than me. And I was talking to him because, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to sort out a second and third series and whatever and I, I, we were talking because he eventually moved away from that topic of race and I sort of said to him how did you feel about moving away from that topic and he said well he, he was quite excited to do so because the problem with racism is, is it ironically it's quite black and white <laughs> there's a right and a wrong yeah whereas and you can you can go into you can do interesting things in time in terms of humanizing people who are on the wrong side of that debate yeah but there is still a right and a wrong whereas i think what makes drugs such an interesting topic is that it's very all encapsulating there, there aren't really limits as to what you would say is and isn't a drug i mean you can get silly with it but yeah a lot of people drink a lot of people smoke who are very against drugs yeah but it incorporates all kind of different people, like like you say, so someone like yourself who's a fairly responsible parent, I yeah. assume. Yeah, <laughs> fairly responsible. Parent. Yeah, uh, and you know, and it's so. I think as a topic, it's actually really interesting and more interesting than a lot of other things because because there's a spectrum as to what can be interpreted as right and wrong. Yeah, the way we've done our podcast is that I, I've I've interviewed someone and then I play the interview to my son. He has, oh, really? He has a listen to yeah. that, and then we record a little chat. Oh, great! Five or ten minutes afterwards of uh, great. You know, me talking to whoever. So, um, and when we we sit on his bed to record that, usually as he's on his Xbox, uh, uh, almost all the time. So we sat there, and our next door neighbour, who is again, a, as far as I can understand, a responsible dad, is often outside having a spliff, and we can smell this. Really. Uh, um, Weed smoke drifting up. My poor next door neighbour. I feel like I've given him quite a bad rap. A, I've not smelt cannabis smoke for ages underneath Credence's window. And B, it was 
infrequent anyway. And see, his house is up for sale now, so don't hound him. He's a nice guy, quiet, and by all impressions that I get, a good dad. Whereas, you know, I'm not a big drinker, and and one of the things that's changed about me from your age through to now, having children, is I don't want a hangover in the morning. Yeah, that must be a bit... I always think that. I always think... I've got mates who are starting to have children and stuff, and my my sister's got children, my girlfriend's sister's got children, and I always think, like... The mornings look like hell on earth anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine having a hangover or even worse, yeah. you know. Yeah, so... Yeah, God alive, I don't know how people do that. So the sort of taking responsibility, taking that, you know, and, and still having a job and all, all the kind of logistics of life, which become busier, is that now I, would, I wouldn't I would use drugs or drink heavily other than maybe thinking, okay, I can get to that festival without the kids, so so that might be an opportunity. You know, that's, to it's, it's, it's just a thing I remember, uh, a year or two ago, I, I was performing at a festival called Standing Calling, and I, I we were watching someone on the main stage, and there was a guy, similar age to yourself, actually, stood next to us sort of got chatting and noticed that he had this it was almost like a little wagon <laughs> with his kids in with his kids yeah. in it. And, and, he, and we were sort of chatting and we were like you know how's that blah 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 and he noticed that we sort of pulled out a little bag and he was like can I have a little go and we were like yeah and I sort of thought to myself I was like that's probably the ideal scenario at a festival maybe I don't know maybe I'm wrong I, like I think I reckon when I've got kids, I'd like, I mean, like, as you say, I, I wouldn't be able to see the mornings on a hangover or a calm down or whatever. And I'd certainly never want substances in the house. No. That, that would that would be. I mean, we. I guess weed is different, but then you, you worry that you normalise something that can be quite dangerous. But yeah, the idea of people bringing stuff into my house, I don't think I'd be keen on. No. The festivals seem like something you could maybe dabble. Maybe. I yeah, I think so. But now I'm. I, I, I don't know. Having made this podcast and sort of a bit a bit like you on yours, I, I refer to my drug use, and it was a bit of a hurdle to get over. Thinking, okay, my son's going to hear this. Like, this is the purpose of it. Yeah, I've talked about it all in a historical sense. You yes, know, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. have done these things, yeah, 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 so yeah. I'm not hiding it. But I'm, I've kept it fairly grey about how up to date that yeah. <laughs> that, that drift. <laughs> and now I think so. If I do want to go to a festival mm-hmm. and take pills rather than drink alcohol, I don't know. I think that's something I'm not sure I'm comfortable talking to anyone about, particularly mm. because it's look. It, I don't know. There's a lot of stigma around. Oh, you're a parent. How irresponsible yeah. is that? And, is, is that still the case? Well, I, I don't know anyone in my friendship group that would do that with me. I don't oh, really. So I think yeah, I would have yeah, to go yeah. back to university mates who <laughs> who, might, who might come and do that with me rather. Have they than, got children? Yeah, a couple of them have. Okay, yeah, right. but it would be a sort of thing where we'd arrange a sort of you know lads away yeah, type yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I think. I don't think it that that would feel slightly sadder as well if if, if there was organisation that went into it just so you could do those stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a uh, an odd one, and, and I wonder whether it's the substances that I'm interested in or more the the buzz that there's some in one of your um, a couple of your episodes where people talked about being addicted to the scene and addicted to the buzz around things yeah. so the chemsex guy and um, and someone else I think around the nightclub sort of uh, scene there's a sort of buzz about the rituals and the, yeah. and the illegality the sort of like oh this is a bit more exciting yeah, 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 yeah you know yeah, yeah. and I think I think that's so often the case I, 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 I would dare to venture that it's so rarely the chemical and substance that 
people are addicted to. Whether yeah. it's the ritual or the habit or the social circle that you enter when you do it, or just the feeling of escapism from a nine to five or whatever that is, I think that is so often, especially at the early stages of an addiction, I think that's so often what it is. Yeah, and, and I think I'm a bit resistant to drifting into what I view as a sort of slightly beige midlife. You know, I'm just a, a dad doing the school run, going to work, going for a, a pint of craft ale. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. it's all a bit on a level all a bit <laughs> where's the excitement where's the edge of danger I went to Boomtown Festival this summer reporting for the really? BBC and I was there on the Wednesday night before most of the stages are even up and running and the place just feels I mean, like a buzz madness, of danger that that, yeah that one's mad anything could go off yeah. and it's like oh I missed this this is exciting yeah. Uh, yeah. and I was completely straight walking around just with a pint watching what's going on but I think oh yeah that's that's what is the buzz of the yeah. scene isn't it absolutely absolutely I don't know how you how you separate that whether if, if you made drugs legal and more people were able to do them because they were just available whether that would take some of that fun out of it or, and would keep more people safer as, as well I'm a bit unsure. I don't know I mean, the festival one's interesting so they're talking about introduce, and some, some festivals are actually doing this thing like Latitude are doing it where they, they introduce drug testing at a festival so they, they test people's drugs there. there there are times when that's successful times when it's not I think you're right in that it's the danger that attracts the, the feeling of anything that happens. yeah and I miss that I, I don't really have that because of, of my work I, I end up working most weekends so but tonight I'm driving to Halifax right you know tomorrow I'm only in Camden but it's still I've got to be sober yeah so yeah it, and I, I even at 27 I look back at when I was like 22 I'm going to festivals and just or, or even like you know just have a weekend in London where I could just go oh fuck it I won't go to work on Monday I won't I mean, I work to be content to work to myself, but yeah, nothing matters. Yeah, you know? and I think that that changes for people, whether it's to do with a career or a family or whatever. And then, and so yeah, that it, it's not the substances that I miss. I definitely don't miss MCAT, well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the sense of freedom and you can do anything. And you know, there, there's a, there's quite a nice camaraderie in. You and eight of your mates sat there seven in the morning, not knowing how you're still awake or still sane. You know, drinking whiskey straight from a bottle and smoking a thousand cigarettes an hour. Yeah, and that, I think that's what I miss. Yeah, your guest on on Chemsex talks about the fact that there's a lot of intimacy in just sharing drugs. It doesn't. You don't need to necessarily drift into the sex part of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just exactly. Yeah, and, and meeting people and and extending friendships and developing friendships and. Yeah, the, the the kind of cliche with like some like MDMA is you all sit around and tell each other you love each other. Yeah, and that's nice, isn't it? That's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Whether there's drugs involved or not, that's that's a nice thing to do. Yeah, and I think you said something earlier on about it feels quite normal to you to talk about drugs, and it does for me as well. You know, I can talk to you now, and I don't feel uncomfortable in using the terminology or, or um, betraying an experience of it. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is what we're both trying to communicate with the podcast thing a bit. But I still feel like a nervousness about necessarily letting on any of that knowledge in, in with some friendship groups, so like the, the other parents that I might know who I I didn't know through university or anything. So yeah. you know, I don't know what your past experience is yeah, yeah, yeah. with colleagues as well, and uh, and so I think that is where 
there's still there's still a feeling that um, you can't talk about it. There's a stigma. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, and it's, it's strange where that exists. You know, and it's I don't think that's a generational thing. There are people my age who are incredibly sensitive about it as a topic who yeah don't want to talk about it. And I I I, I, I find that. The biggest victories in terms of our podcasts feel like when someone who previously had a real aversion to even considering the topic yeah. finds it a podcast can make them think about it and engage in discussion about it. That that's the one. They're the nicest messages I get when people are like, "Oh, I, I previously hated. Or I never wanted to talk about blah 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 blah." But I listened to your thing, and I think this is you know something interesting. It's something I'm. I'm open to considering the people who are involved in this scene aren't all villains. That you know, yeah. That that that's the biggest victories I think when, when people open their minds to the, the fact that it's not something you have to consume or something you have to even do, but you can accept that the people who are doing it aren't necessarily bad people. Yeah, and it's interesting how I don't know how you felt, but I, I was really scared to speak to people who'd been bereaved uh, because of this. So I spoke to two mums who'd lost their teenagers at uh, festivals to drugs overdoses, and I was yeah, I was really scared, yeah. and I and I didn't, I couldn't quite bring myself in those conversations to to admit that I had taken drugs because I just sort of felt like it was too, you know, I felt too sheepish about it. Right, uh, and in front of the policeman when I've been speaking. To them again, <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of speaking in slight uh, euphemisms about uh, about drug use rather than being as uh, open as you could, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I do, but I do think if everyone is once I think once people have listened, even, even people who don't haven't got any experience, with it, once people listen to the conversations, then it just becomes just a, a conversation, like you wouldn't feel insensitive talking about driving in front of somebody who who'd lost someone to a road traffic accident. Yes, we all drive, absolutely. So it's okay absolutely. to acknowledge that drug use still goes on. And, and, and a chemical itself can't be evil, it's what people do with it. Right. Like, even heroin, if you think about what that is in substance, there is no such thing as a good or bad chemical. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as a, as a chemical that's a killer. It's what people do with that chemical. And I, I, I've found that, specifically with the chemsex episode, actually, because a lot of chems or, you know, the drugs that are involved in chemsex are, you know, are funny things. You know, uh, G is a sort of form of GHB, they're a hypnol data rate drug, right? And so there was a bit of advertising made by someone on the social media team and that went out and people got a bit sensitive and upset about that and I was getting a lot of messages saying, yeah, how dare you talk about this substance, how dare you talk about a substance that's used within date rape, whatever. It's like, well, it's not the substance's fault that someone's done that with it. And, and what this kind of shows is that that substance can be used in a way that I'm, I'm not saying is safe. It's definitely not safe that people are administering it to themselves because they enjoy the effects of it. Yeah. There's no such thing as a as a as a and the driving comparison is a great one. You know, cars aren't evil. Yeah. That people can do evil things. With them. So, yeah, I think that's something that people need to... Yeah, people don't need to do anything, they can do whatever they want, but I, I would like people to open their mind to that. Yeah. Um, well, I know you've got to go. Um, yeah, I've got a dash on. Thank you so much for having me. No, that's great. And uh, uh, are you going to do another series then? Are you pitching to say to try uh, and get... Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah.
I, I think something will happen. Yeah. I, can't, I can't say it like, officially, but yeah, I hope so. Yeah, great. Oh, well, um, good luck with it. Thanks, Thanks for talking to me. Thank you so great. much. I really appreciate it. And just like that, he was gone drifting across the piazza, looking very stylish, pleasingly in the background as he did it. A guy did turn up outside the front doors of BBC Broadcasting House wearing a high-vis jacket and started folding up a folding bicycle. I hope it was Ian Fletcher, the BBC's head of values. Anyway, then, because I'd rushed to get to meet Jacob, trains had been a bit late, it had all been a bit flustered, I then set off uh, back to catch my train home again and uh, decided to gather my thoughts and record them as I did so. So here they are. Uh, so that was really interesting. I'm going to do what Jacob does uh, on his podcast, which is he often records a little bit of reflection uh, after having met somebody. So I'm now walking away from the BBC Broadcasting House down Regent Street and it's a bit of uh, my trips into London that I absolutely love. I've got plenty of time before my train so I don't have to get on a tube and I can just walk through the middle of town and past uh, I've just come past Liberties and Hamley's the massive toy shop just walking down when I came up in the winter and spoke to um, guests in the centre of town, I, I walked and all the Christmas lights were up. Obviously, it's not now, it's only uh, in September. But um, there's a thrill for me about being in London. And, uh, and after chatting to Jacob, it was interesting. Just, I was just thinking on talking about what the buzz... Uh, and excitement or attraction is of drugs and whether it's the drugs themselves or whether it's the scene and whether it's the uh, associations that you have around all of that and particularly him saying how it would be a bit sad if you were going to great lengths as a 43-year-old father of three to engineer a way of getting away from where your life is in order to just take drugs and sometimes I think I do want to do that and try to do that so for him to think that's a little bit sad that's interesting Uh, and I think he's right in that yeah, it's not the chemicals. There might be a um, there might be a desire, and I think there is a desire to in, to experience some intoxication. We we all, I think, have that desire to be a bit intoxicated from time to time. I personally, I'm not a big fan of the intoxication from alcohol one or two beers on a Friday evening and I'm done you know it's not going to get any better for me than that so I don't really want to drink anymore because I don't want the hangover on the Saturday morning when I'm taking kids to swimming lessons and wanting to start the weekend with a bit of spring in my step however 
I, I do still, and the more I read and the more I uh, research podcasts and so on, I do find myself attracted to drugs. You know, people talk about psychedelics and or taking MDMA not in a clubbing setting, but maybe just to have good conversations without some of the um, inhibitions and uh, stress triggers because they've been taken away and uh, stripped back by the MDMA and you can talk without the pain and so on, affecting how you discuss stuff. And all of that seems really attractive. So I do think, okay, I haven't driven to some intoxication, but how do you go about engineering that? You know, I find it awkward to talk to my wife about it because I I wonder whether she thinks I'm just a nutcase. Uh, I'd be awkward talking to any friends about it who I know locally because I don't know them of old, so I don't know what their long-standing attitudes towards drugs are. And they, again, they might think I'm a right weirdo, uh, if I suggest us all taking MDMA and sitting around a campfire. But is that any weirder than suggesting us all have that campfire and drink? I mean, it is different because it's illegal, but it's, it's not weird in that I'm not aiming for some sort of debauched level of intoxication. It's just a different and possibly better level of type of intoxication. Yeah, anyway, um, the sun's shining, and it's a nice walk, I'm now in Piccadilly Circus, and Jacob Hawley was a really interesting person to chat to, and I really enjoyed that. Right, is that the new Fortnite? That is the new Fortnite, yeah, I've got someone from really good at it. Cool, well let's not get distracted by that. We've got a short conversation before tea. Uh, you have just listened to episode 18. Yep. What is on your mind? What did you think? Um, it was good, I enjoyed it. It was interesting, all the, like, the talk about like the way the different podcasts work and then like how different they are and then... Yeah, you haven't listened to any of Jacobs, have you? No, no. But yeah, did you find him? He's a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's nice. And it was interesting the split. You know, I'm 43, he's 27, you're 14. Interesting the different experiences we'll have of life yeah. just because of how much life has changed since mm-hmm. I was your age and he was your age and so on. And what did you make about? Uh, do you think it's a good idea that we're talking openly about drugs, you and I? him to his parents, him to comedy audiences. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I think it is. I, I feel like... Yeah, it's good. If people talk about it, then it's going to be less dangerous, because people know what to do. And I think so. Harm reduction. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And I think parents like me being less uptight, perhaps, than my parents were, means that kids like you will hopefully be more open you'll just feel like oh, I can talk to my parents about that they don't get yeah yeah they don't get stressed if I talk to them about drugs or debt or boyfriends girlfriends you know whatever yeah. you know it sort of that's what I want anyway that's what I hope that will be the outcome that 
then any kind of harm is avoided because we just sort of chat about stuff. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like he said, loads of people, his impression is that everyone, everyone does drugs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or has done, you know, it's not like, not like everyone's doing loads of it, but drugs aren't all bad, people aren't all bad, people on drugs aren't all bad, you know, it's just sort of yeah. a bit of life that just goes on. And like he said, it's a tiny percentage of his week. Yeah. Five or six hours, like 200 or whatever. Yeah. And I saw an interesting tweet this week from a, a woman called Emma Maynard, who is doing research at Portsmouth University, and she talks to the parents of teenagers who have got a problem with drugs. And she kind of gives advice to parents about how to talk to teenagers. And so I sort of feel like we're slightly ahead of the curve. Yeah, you could have begun that already. Yeah, and without there being a need to sort of suddenly go, oh no, my son's got a problem with drugs, we're just sort of making it normal conversation, whether it's about booze or vaping or cannabis or, or ketamine or whatever. We've talked about lots of things, so it just feels like it's made it a bit more normal without it being a special measures, suddenly <laughs> we need to have a conversation because you're in trouble or what have you. So, good, well, thanks for being part of the little mini back to school series do I get money for these ones uh, yeah, we hadn't clarified that in the small print had we in the terms and conditions <laughs> well it's a continuation of the other one so yeah okay so that would be a further £15 it would yeah <laughs> yes I guess so yes <laughs> uh, good yeah good right um, right dinner time let's go